All right. Well, hey, welcome to Rockbridge. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. We're so glad that you have decided to join us. We're one church in multiple locations and multiple languages, and we just welcome you here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and now we're gearing up to sprint into the full-fledged Christmas season. And as we do that, anytime we come into the, f- the first part of a month, we have one of our most important services. I call it the most important service. It's our first Wednesday service. Love for you to join us at all six of our locations at 630. Uh, this month will be a slightly different. We'll have about a 10-minute kind of business meeting, but it's really just a process of affirmation and prayer over our 2020 ministry budget. Uh, I sent out an email blast to all of our members and a video that kind of walked you through that. We'll share that a little bit more on Wednesday night. But in the meantime, if you have any questions about our ministry budget, there'll be people in all of our lobby spaces from our finance team, and they'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. So we're in part two of this series, and, and, and the bottom line for this series is we're just talking about what I think is the one thing that might make anything and everything better. The one thing that might make anything and everything better. And, and most of the time when, we, when, we, when I say something like that, you know, all of us think about, hey, uh, a better outcome over here and better results over here and more money or something like that. But the one thing that makes everything or can make everything better, if this is right, is this thing called attitude. We've been talking about it for two weeks now. This is part two of that. It's attitude. And attitude has this power and this capacity to affect literally everything, to affect everything. And in fact, attitude, I was thinking about it, attitude is like a thermostat. <clears throat> you know, your thermostat affects everybody in the house or everybody in the room that this has control over. And the thermostat gets set by someone, right? And, and it's you and your wife, that might have been your first fight after the honeymoon when you got married or you fight now with your kids or whatever. But the thermostat is like your attitude and it gets set and it affects literally everything. It affects the climate. It affects your, how you see things, how you experience things. I mean, you can be watching a great movie and it's amazing and everything is good, but if it gets too hot in the theater, all of a sudden, you know, the movie, you, you forget about the movie and everything goes to, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot. Somebody ought to do something about that. Or, so attitude is sort of like that. It just literally affects everything. And the question that I just want to start us off with is who or what sets your attitude? Who or what sets your attitude? That if this is so important, it's the one thing that can make everything better and it influences and affects everything, we ought to be very selective in who or what has access to the thermostat. We ought to be very selective in who or what has access to our thermostat. Yet I think a lot of us have become passive and unintentional about who or what has access to the thermostat and who or what gets to affect or infect our attitude, which then affects everything. And so we're going to talk about this in the context of a letter Paul wrote to a church at Ephesus, and, and the whole theme of this is about having an attitude that's set by the right who or what and, and how that impacts everything. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> We're going to start reading in verse number 15. Here's what Paul says. He says, pay attention, pay careful attention then to how you live, how you live, all right? He says, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of the time or buying back or redeeming the time. Hey, go make the most of it. And that's a function of how. And he says, because the days are evil. 
So he said, look, you can have a productive, effective, blessed life despite the fact that the days are evil by paying attention to how you live. And how you live is influenced, is impacted by the thermostat, right? How you live in your house, how you experience the movie, how you experience your marriage, a lot of that's impacted by the climate. So your attitude is important. And so by implication, Paul is saying, just because the days are evil, don't let the days you're in or the season you're in impact or have access to your thermostat or impact how you experience it because it's too important. So don't let evil set your attitude. Don't let a bad season set your attitude. We're going to make the most of the season we're in by paying attention to how we live. And how we live is a function of our attitude. And and so let me say it this way, that I cannot, you cannot, we cannot control always the season that we're in. Can't do it. But we can control the attitude we have, which will control how I experience the season that I'm in. Isn't that powerful, right? I, I can't control what happens all the time. I can't control what he says here, that the days are evil. I can't control the season I'm in, but I can control the attitude I have, which then impacts or controls how I experience this particular season. So, so right off the bat, we can say this. The season I'm in does not need to have access to the thermostat. The situation you're in, the circumstance you're facing, you don't need to have a situational or circumstantial or seasonal attitude. Don't let those things have access to this. Remember, who or what has access to the thermostat? Do not let the season you're in, the situation you're in, the circumstances you're in, don't let those things have access to the thermostat. Okay, so, so Matt, 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 you're saying that even though evil and bad stuff happens and things didn't go my way, that's not supposed to set the temperature, set the thermostat, right? Exactly. So what does? What does? Well, let's keep going with Paul because he, he's going to keep ex- expanding upon this idea. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says, let's not be foolish. He says, understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. And that's keeping with his train of thought of paying attention to, don't be foolish, pay attention to how you live or what the Lord's will is. So those things are like parallel or synonymous kind of statements. He's kind of repeating himself but saying in a different way. And and so what we're thinking of when we think of God's will is typically a what or a who, right? What I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do who I'm supposed to do it with or who I'm not supposed to do it with. Who am I supposed to marry? What school am I supposed to go to? What car? What house? Who this? Who that? And the mistake we make sometimes is we don't think of God's will as a how. See what he said? Go all the way back. Pay attention then to how you live. So we don't think of God's will as a how. But God's will is not always a what or a who, but a how. And how, how you experience this, how you experience that, how you go through that difficulty, how you do that relationship is a product of or a function of your attitude, your attitude. And, and, and what, if, what if, what if, what if all of us are praying, we're praying who prayers and we're praying what prayers? We're praying, hey, I, I, I need a better who, or I need some more who's, right? Or uh, God, help me get rid of the what, or help, some, help a what come my way that's good. I, I want this to be really good. And we're focused on who and what, who and what, who and what. And, and, and sometimes who and what never change. And you start looking at God, and you're like, God, 
nothing's changing. And God, are you even up there? And God, will you answer my prayer? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? God said, no, 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 I want you to pay attention to how. I want you to pay attention to your attitude. Because if your attitude would right, was right, it would change your experience with who, and it would change your experience with what. So let's pay attention to the thermostat. Let's pay attention to the attitude. Now, most of us probably have some faulty thermostat setting practices in our lives. And most of us, you know, how do we go through things? How do we go through difficulties with who and difficulties with what? Most of us do kind of the same thing Paul's going to ask us not to do in the first part of verse 18. Here's what he says. He says, don't get drunk with wine or don't come under the influence of wine because that leads to reckless living. Now, what's he talking about there? He's like, look, the days are evil. Uh, Bad things can happen. Things don't always go your way. Difficulties happen, and and you're not supposed to let those things set your attitude. So what do we do? We escape. And alcohol or drugs or fantasy or entertainment can be a way of escape. And so for most of us, when we talk about setting our attitude to something better or, or having joy or something like that, most of us think this is how we have to do it. Over here, Paul's already said, the reality is the days, of e- days are evil, so let's escape those days. And so this is vacation, this is an addiction, this is entertainment, nothing wrong necessarily with entertainment, nothing wrong with vacations, but here's what we're doing. Here's all we're doing. Here's all we're doing. We're letting reality, days are evil, set our attitude, we escape, and, it gets, and things get better, right? I mean, given enough distraction or delusion or deception, anybody can be happy for a moment. And then we come back to reality, and reality sets it back. And it's, it's why this phenomenon happens in my life sometimes and maybe in yours. You ever taken a vacation, and the first day back from vacation undoes everything vacation did? Like you're on vacation, you know, you're, you're on the beach, or you're at the lake, or you're in the mountains, or wherever, and man, it is joy, it is peace, it is calm, it is happiness, the worry is down, the insecurity is down, the fear factor is down, and you're like, man, life is good. Well, you just let your escape set your attitude, and then you come back to reality, and then you get home from work that day, and you're stressed, and you're afraid, and you're anxious, and, and what happened? Only thing that happened was this, who or what's setting your attitude, the reality you're in or the escape that you're a part of. That's it. And, and, and so we get into escapism. And here's all escapism does. It's the same thing attitude does or other escapes. It deadens us to reality. So we're just less aware of reality. It's what alcohol does, what escapes do. We start forgetting our problems. The problems haven't gone away. The days are still evil, according to Paul, but we forget about them. And then we have temporary relief. Oh, things were better. But it has reckless potential. It has reckless potential because nothing's really changed inside of us. Nothing's really changed. We just sort of let our thermostat be set by the situation or by the season or by the circumstances. And we can't ignore reality or our problems indefinitely. So now Paul presents the alternative. It's the answer to the question, who or what has access to the thermostat? Here's what he says. All right, so don't get drunk with wine. Don't come under the control of wine. Don't just escape things, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. 
Be filled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled by God. And this is a continual thing. It would literally read, keep on being filled or be being filled. It's a continuous, habitual lifestyle of the Holy Spirit of a holy God is going to be the one that sets the thermostat. That's going to set my attitude. The Holy Spirit of a holy God, the Holy Spirit who lives in every single Christ follower, every person who's given Jesus their sin and given Jesus the steering wheel of their life, he gives them their Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. He says, just be filled or be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? So beautiful, so powerful. The Holy Spirit awakens us to the ultimate reality. And the ultimate reality is this. Yes, the days are evil, but we know who wins in the end. The ultimate reality is that God is for us, even when our situations don't always seem to be telling us that God is for us. The ultimate reality is the eternal love of God, the covenant love of God, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's Christmas, right? That's ultimate reality. And, And where escaping and alcohol deadens us to reality, the Holy Spirit awakens us to ultimate reality. Where, the Holy, where the alcohol causes us to forget, the Holy Spirit causes us to remember the God factor. The Holy Spirit rem- reminds us God's in control, God's working things out, that, we, that in the end we win because Christ has won and Christ is victorious. And when we're adopted into his family and become part of his kingdom, that victory is ours. And, and then spirit fullness is a continual state of being. We're constantly awakened to this reality, reminded of this reality and the the reality of who God is, and that's our constant state. And so spirit fullness is simply this, the Holy Spirit, not my feelings, not my situation, not the who's all around me, not what happened to me yesterday or not what happened to me five years ago, but the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Jesus who lives in me as a Christ follower, sets my thermostat, determines my attitude. Now, let's pause for a second, okay? If I told you, hey, you just won the lottery, assuming you do that kind of thing, right? If I just said, hey, you won a million bucks, I can predict fairly confidently, okay, fairly confidently how you're going to react, okay? All, All you Georgia fans, right? Amen, right? If I said, hey, next Saturday, Georgia is going to upset LSU, win the SEC championship, and make it into the college football playoff. I can predict fairly accurately how all of you are going to react. I know how I'm going to react, right? I mean, there would be happiness. There would be joy. We would cheer. We would high-five somebody. We'd be excited. We'd get on social media. We'd post something. You know, we'd talk trash to the Tennessee people. I mean, we'd do all those kind of things, right? So, If I am awakened to the ultimate reality, if I'm attentive to the fact of God's glory, of God being for me, of God dying in my place to give me an inheritance that lasts forever, that won't perish or won't fade or won't spoil or won't rot or can't be taken away. If I I remember that God is with me, Emmanuel, that God is for me, and I constantly am in that state of being, How's my attitude? The, the one word that pops out a lot in Scripture when we are awakened to and remembering and in this state is joy. 
Book of Acts says it this way, 1352. The disciples, the students, the followers of Jesus were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has awakened them, is reminding them, is operating in them in control, in fullness. They're remembering, they're alive, that's their state of being, and there's joy. The book of Nehemiah alludes to this after a period of, of repentance and grief and mourning. Nehemiah says, hey, don't grieve, don't, don't be upset. Don't let what happened in the past affect you in the present because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And God is a happy God. God is a content God. And and, and his joy will be our joy and our joy will be complete. And and so if, if we're in the fullness of the Spirit, if the Spirit is setting our attitude, there is going to be this beautiful and incredible overflow of joy. And now what Paul does is he's going to give, if you remember this from like English class, he's going to give five participles that describe what it is like to be full of the Holy Spirit. And it's all, and they're all kind of expressions of the overflow of God in us, this joy of the Lord. Here's what he says. Start verse 19. Here we go. First participle, number one, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we're speaking truth and it's poetry. Poetry has this way, musical, lyrical stuff, has this way of capturing our emotions, capturing our affections in a way that prose and paragraphs do not. That's why it's so important that we worship and we sing and we sing. And then he goes, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So all of these are sort of this poetic, lyrical, rhythmic way of of, of expressing our affections and understanding the glory of who God is. So, so you, you know, as a Christians, we can't be, well, I, I just don't like worship. I don't like music people because we, we, we sing because God's put a song in us, right? And, and, and so this is all going on. So here's participle one, two, and three, speaking, singing, and making music. And then he says, and we're giving thanks always for everything. I love that, always for everything. That's what we just did this past Thursday, correct? We're giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because God has given us everything we need for our eternal joy and our eternal happiness. He's given us himself. How has he given us himself? In the form of the Holy Spirit who has access to our thermostat. So that's part of simple number four. And then he gets relational. And he says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And the fear of Christ is controlling. This would be synonymous with being filled with the Holy Spirit, being controlled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the reality of all of who Jesus is. And how does that affect our relationships? Because everybody I see, everybody I lock eyes with, everybody I relate to, everybody that hurts me or offends me, everybody that I disagree with is still someone that Jesus Christ died for and either they are a candidate to be the temple of the Holy Spirit or they already are a temple of the Holy Spirit so how dare I not honor them and so those are the descriptions of the fullness of the Holy Spirit we're giving thanks we're submitting we're singing speaking and making music Because this beautiful reality of God, we're awakened to it, we're reminded of it, and we're in this state of being, this attitude. This is how we are. We're happy in God, and it overflows with this joy. 
So let me say it this way to all the, all the Christ followers here and, uh, and even the would-be Christ followers. God is not in control until he controls my attitude. God is not in control of you until he controls your attitude. So <coughs> somewhere deep inside of you, there's a thermostat. And, and someone or something is controlling it. Usually what controls it, if it's not God, is you or an idol. Or your past. Or your expectations. But God is never really fully in control of you unless he's controlling your attitude. But when God controls your attitude, you overflow and it affects everything and makes everything better. So verse 18 is kind of a weird verse because he says, be filled or be being filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us a command. So how do we keep that command? We're commanded to be in control or to be under the control of the influence of the Holy Spirit. Here's my explanation of that. I will not step, I will not make major decisions, have crazy reactions, act on impulses. I will not step, I will not live, I will not walk, going back to verse 15, until my attitude is set by the Spirit. So so if I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to step, live, walk, make a choice, have a reaction until my attitude is under the control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make sure that what ha- who has access to my thermostat is not the day I had, not the season I'm in, not the guy who cut me off in traffic, uh, not what the boss said to me when I felt like he undervalued me or underappreciated me, not, not the snide remark my husband made on his way out the door. I am going to make sure that before I respond, before I react, before I go through the rest of my day, the rest of my life or whatever, I'm going to give God, the Holy Spirit, my attitude. Now, again, how how does that work, Matt? Okay, how does that work? Well, we're going to leverage a principle that Paul's already alluded to. The first phrase we read was pay careful attention then to how you live. And how you live is affected by the attitude you have. So pay attention to. So here's the principle that we're going to use to allow the Holy Spirit to set our attitude so we can then walk, step, and live. Whatever gets my attention eventually sets my attitude. Say that again. Whatever gets my attention will eventually set my attitude. I mean, if you're constantly giving your attention to negativity, to toxic stuff, to toxic emotions, if you're constantly giving your attention to what you don't have versus what you do have, we know where your attitude's going to go. Your attitude will always follow your attention. So when Paul says, pay careful attention to how you live and how you live is impacted by who sets or who or what sets your attitude or who or what sets your thermostat, then we've got to be careful about what we give or what captures or what gets our attention. So whatever gets my attention eventually sets my attitude. All right. So now, so we understand that. What, how, how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that? How do we get that to the Holy Spirit? Well, I think the critical thing is this, because whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of people go, go to 
crazy extremes that are not helpful, not always biblical, and we, we think about weird stuff happening, or we think about uh, them speaking in tongues, or we think about miracles, or, or, or some people go to the other extreme and, and say, well, all that stuff ended after the first century, and it just gets crazy. And I, I think one of the descriptions that Jesus gives of the Holy Spirit gives us a clue and gives us a pathway to let the Holy Spirit affect our attitude by paying attention to what the Holy Spirit pays attention to. Here's what Jesus said, John 15, 26. He says, when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, who I will send to you from the Father. So we have this gift of the Holy Spirit that we get when we, when we give Jesus our sins and we give Jesus the steering wheel, he gives us the Spirit. I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of, and here's the word, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth. And, and by that, we're not talking about the truth of, yeah, you may, it may be true you had a bad day or you're having a bad week, but we're talking about the overcoming and, and, and overtaking beautiful truth of who God is and who we are in Him and what we have in Him. We're talking about the truth of the gospel. We're talking about the truth of eternity and eternal life and forgiveness. And our, my identity is who God says I am, not what they say I am. We're talking about all those beautiful, glorious truths. So that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. And the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us, testify to us, awaken us, remind us about Jesus. That's his big function, is to shine a light on the truth that's contained in the capital P person of Jesus. And so I can give my attention, because <clears throat> attention is something I have some control over, right? If I'm driving in a car, I give my attention to the road, hopefully over my cell phone or hopefully over the rubberneck situation on the side of the road, right? Right? I can control what I give my attention to. So I'm going to give my attention to the truth that the Spirit operates in about Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul described, right, in his five participles. Speaking, singing, making music, giving thanks, in everything, always in everything, and submitting with the fear of Christ operating. We're focused on truth and how glorious that truth is. I mean, there, there's a difference, right, between you had a bad day and you've got an amazing eternity. Which counts more? There, there's a difference when, man, you lost your best friend and you'll have Christ forever, right? There's a difference in those truths, right? There's a difference in, man, Q4 has been tough on the business, and, man, you've got eternal riches in Christ that never perish. There's a difference in that, right? So I'm going to give my attention to those glorious truths about Christ and who we are and what we have in Christ. And I'm going to give my attention to Him and His truth until He gets my attention with that truth and then sets my attitude, Right? So I'm going to keep focusing on truth, keep reminding myself of truth, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ, until he gets my attention and I begin to experience this overflow of that little three-letter word called joy, and my attitude is joyful even though the days might be evil. Now, there's three enemies you and I face to this happening consistently in our lives. Remember, this is supposed to be the continual state of the Christian. 
is an attitude controlled, influenced, and set by the Holy Spirit, thus marked by joy through this principle of what and who or what we give our attention to. So there's three enemies we face. Here they are. A lot of us are just passive. We've been trained to let things happen to us. I turn the TV on, hope something good's on tonight. All right? What, what's my news, what's my feed on Facebook saying? We just become kind of passive. Man, I hope the sermon's good. Hope the music's okay. We just become passive. Paul said, be careful and pay attention to how you live. You can't be passive about how you live. Because here's what I know. Something will get your attention that is not true or is only a partial truth as opposed to the overcoming eternal and glorious truth that we have in Christ. Busyness. Some of us are so busy, nothing gets our attention for very long. And the truth we're talking about, the glories we're talking about, you got to let those kind of soak in and, and permeate past the first layer of your brain, heart, mind, and soul. And then impatience. I mean, we live in a I want it now phase. So we come to church, and if nothing happens in the first five minutes, I mean, we think nothing's going to happen. Or we open the Bible, and eh, nothing happened. We've got to push past until we feel what that, the, the weight of the truth we read about, we sang about, or we heard about. Let me say this. If I am more joyful about Georgia potentially winning the SEC or winning the lottery than I am about the fact that Christ is with me, Christ is for me, and I have a future inheritance with him that won't perish, fade, or spoil, that's a problem in the attitude, right? We're giving weight to a truth that doesn't hold as much water as these ultimate truths that the Spirit of Truth wants to reveal to us. We have to be patient and keep looking at it and keep thinking about it and keep singing it and keep praying it and keep reading it and keep speaking it. So, so listen, when we talk about giving the Holy Spirit our attitude or giving the Holy Spirit our thermostat, we've got to think about how we engage the Bible, how we walk into worship services, and what is our attitude about when the Bible is read. What is our attitude when the worship leader says, hey, would you stand and sing with me? What is our attitude toward preaching, the small group that we're in, the relationships that we have? Because all of, those, all of these things are mechanisms ordained by God to get your attention or for you to give God your attention so He can move you to an experience of truth. And the glorious, beautiful truths that the Spirit of truth wants to illuminate and wants to impart to us, those truths, when we dwell on them, when we think about them, when we sing them enough, they cause us to overflow with joy. And our attitude is set by the Spirit. And attitude affects everything. So who or what sets your attitude? Who or what has access to the thermostat? In fact, there, there's a parallel passage. The book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians are kind of cousins or brother-sister books of the Bible. And in a similar vein of thought, Paul talks about essentially similarly being full of the Spirit or being set by the, having the attitude set by the Spirit. Here, look, look what he says. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly among you. 
So this is not a, a one-minute devotional. Or, man, I hope this sermon is as short as humanly possible because I need to go do something else. This is, we got to let the Word of God dwell in us to grab, get, capture our attention. We give God our attention when we open our Bible and read it and engage it. And He also gets our attention when we read it and engage it as it dwells in us. And then he says, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Making each other aware of these glorious truths that you can't just express in prose and paragraphs. You've got to express in poetry and lyrics because it captures the affections and the emotions better. Singing to God. Singing to God. Truths about God. Glory to God. Spirit of truth who testifies about Jesus. Singing those things. Giving our attention to God. Heart, body, mind, soul. With gratitude in your hearts. <coughs> These are descriptors of letting the Holy Spirit set our attitude. And what happens when he does. And then he says, and whatever you do, whatever you do. Remember God's will is not so much a what, but a How? Right? Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus with a gratitude attitude, right? Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, whatever you do will be impacted by the attitude you have when that attitude is set by the Holy Spirit of God. So, I just want to give us an invitation today. Here's the invitation, okay? God is for your joy, God is for your happiness. In his son, Jesus. He's for you forever. And even though the days are evil and sometimes the world doesn't go your way, he's still for your joy and for your happiness. He just wants to give you a deeper joy and a deeper happiness than can be contained or taken away from when the day goes you know, the way you wish it didn't go. So my question is this. Deep inside your mind and soul, as we've dwelled in the Word of God for the last several minutes. Previously, we were singing to God with our hearts, right? That we walk out of here with joy because we say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to take the thermostat away from my past. I'm going to take the thermostat away from the difficult people in my life. I'm going to take the thermostat away from Satan who's lying to me right now. I'm going to take the thermostat away from my bank account, or how, or how work went last week, I'm going to take the thermostat away. And Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you the thermostat. Christ is with me. The Spirit is in me. I have everything I need for everlasting joy and everlasting happiness. Let me pray. God, uh, just as we use that analogy just for a minute, inside all of us there is that thermostat. And Lord, I pray we just check it right now. Is that thermostat set by the Spirit of truth who testifies about Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life? God, do we realize what we have and who we are in Christ? Do we realize that the best is yet to come in Christ and from Christ. God, may these glorious, eternal, beautiful, and majestic truths capture our attention so that the Spirit of Jesus can set our attitude and so we can walk and live 
in the fullness of God, God the Spirit. And we pray all these things in your name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.